Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob. Joined this week by producer JL. John Luke Shapiro is here on a pared down, a minimalist version of Live from the Blue Seats this week. <laughs> no Becky, no Dave. JL, I think I want to say, I think you've successfully driven Dave away. So congratulations. <laughs> well, I, I think I think I farted a little too much and he just kind of couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, yeah, no, yeah, uh, Dave will be back uh, probably next week, although, you know, I don't want to make any any promises there. Um, and maybe he just can't stand JL. So, um, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll we'll see how that unfolds. Uh, but, you know, we're so we're going from a four person show last week. We obviously had Becky here. We had Rob Luker on the show which is always a treat. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I, I love Rob's, uh, you know, takes on the Rangers because they are obviously are very data centric, but he also, I think provides a pretty, uh, you know, sometimes positive leaning lens or is kind of at least looking for solutions as opposed, as opposed to pointing out problems. You know, there, right. there's this, uh, approach that I think a lot of the, uh, heavy handed analytics guys will sort of like, beat you over the head with everything that's wrong and they won't really talk about everything that's right uh, or right. could be right with some adjustments or, or recommend some adjustments. So, you know, I always value uh, Rob's insight. But anyway, uh, JL, how you doing? Um, there's a lot going on, obviously, with the Rangers. There's also a little bit of football news that came out today, but this is a hockey podcast. But uh, I'd be remiss. <laughs> that, that, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to totally gloss it over because we are both Jets fans and Aaron Rodgers that is correct. Is, looks like he's going to be the quarterback. So, that's pretty exciting, even though he's not my favorite human being on the planet. He certainly will be an upgrade at that position, which is the most important in sports, maybe other than NHL goaltender. Um, right. But how are you doing? How's everything going amidst all of that craziness? Everything is is really good. I, I, I had a really good time out in the wonderful city of Pittsburgh, which not many people agree with me on. But I am back uh, in my lovely home in New Jersey. We'll touch on the Pittsburgh stuff a little bit later on. But I, I'm doing all right. I, I'm really positive about, you know, the Rangers and, and the trajectory that they're going in. Uh, we're going to touch more on what happened over the last couple of games. So just from what I've seen so far, everything looks good. But, you know, I'm I'm great. It's it's a fun time to be a sports fan. Aaron Rodgers wants to come here. The Mets are okay. The Rangers are looking a lot better. I'm good. Yeah, and also some pretty exciting, uh, you know, kind of an appetizer to the upcoming MLB season with the pretty wild as we record WBC game between Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. By the way, again, I know we're jumping around with sports here, but I've never seen that ballpark in Miami full and loud before, and it's it's pretty electric. <laughs> well, what you do is you 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 first of all, viva Puerto Rico. First of all, um, secondly, uh, <laughs> you put a you put a good baseball. See, people say baseball doesn't work in Miami. It does, just evident by this tournament. Put a good team in Miami. They will show up. You got Puerto Ricans and Dominicans, which is the majority of what a lot of that city is made up. They will show up. You put a good team down there, they will show up in droves. Trust me. That's mm -hmm. an indictment more on the Marlins than it is on the fans than anything. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, let's get, let's get back to the hockey, or let's get to the hockey here. The Rangers are in a really interesting spot in that they have continued to pick up points despite 
not playing so well. And I think we're going to kind of step back and take that 10,000 foot view or whatever you want to call it uh, in, 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 in a little bit. But I just kind of wanted to start the show by recapping the weekend. So, you know, the Rangers had a back to back. They played Saturday, uh, a 5 p.m. start in Buffalo. Then they had a quick turnaround with travel and daylight savings, by the way. So everybody lost an hour of sleep. Ugh. And they had to travel down to Pittsburgh again, not not too far, uh, you know, especially given the travel standards of a of a first class pro hockey team or professional sports organization. But, you know, traveling to Pittsburgh and playing a 4 p.m., but what really felt like a 3 p.m. game uh, in Pittsburgh, a game that you attended again. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And the Rangers came out of those two games with three points uh, ha- after having won the first game of the road trip in Montreal in a shootout. So. They get five of a possible six points on a three-game road trip. And, you know, I guess let's start with the Buffalo game. That was the first time the Rangers played the Buffalo Sabres this year. They were missing Alex Tuck. They were missing another uh, key player, I believe. I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. But they were seriously impressive. And I think, you know, one of the things that hockey fans tend to do, and I think a lot of fans tend to do it, but hockey is such a unique sport, I think, in this regard, you look at a team's record and if they're, you know, eight, 10, 12 points behind you in the standings, you kind of think, okay, we're much better than this team. We should just kind of roll over them. And that is absolutely not the case with the Buffalo Sabres. It's not even really the case with the Montreal Canadiens, by the way, who no. just recently beat, uh, I believe they beat the Boston Bruins, right? Or they beat, no, I, sorry, Penguins. I'm sorry. They beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, that's right which helped the Rangers massively pick up some more ground on them as they try to stave them off, uh, you know, from, from contending for that number three spot in the Metro. But uh, you know, my takeaway, JL, and I'd be interesting, interested in your thoughts as well is I was extremely impressed with Buffalo. And I think that that, you know, frankly is a tough matchup for the Rangers because that is a quick team that generates a lot of offense uh, in all different, you know, ways. Well, the the takeaway I got from the Buffalo game was they started off a bit shaky. Um, it, it seems that it seems as if the offense at the time, at least at the start of the game, was still not really clicking. Um, I did like what I did. first of all I love the way they finished. They were, I think, what they were trying to do, and Gallant alluded to this after the game was that there wasn't enough offense being generated. One of the things I I noticed though was that the team was still you know, they're very defense oriented for the most part of, for the, you know, major part of that game. And honestly, that's a good sign, you know, going into the playoffs, you need to have at least some sort of structure when it comes to, you know, the back end. And one of the things that we noticed, even in the Montreal game prior was that the defense was kind of all over the place, obviously Mm -hmm. not having Ryan Lindgren, you know, really hurts this team. And you really begin to see that he is the glue of that defense. But all in all, you know, even with it's you know a lugging Ben Harper on the bottom pair, um, and a, and a, honestly a personal mismatch, be, you know, with Fox and Mikola, they were still able to hold off that quick Sabers team, you know, even though they didn't generate enough offense. Obviously, you know, they ended up winning the game in overtime, and they looked a lot better. Glant made a, a tweak on the lines, and I think this is how they might end up going forward. Um, I, uh, they put Kreider with Trocheck and Kane. They moved mm-hmm. uh, they moved Kane back from the kid line or the two thirds of the kid line and they put him with the second line. So I think what that did was that kind of I think their play styles mesh a lot better. And then obviously you got Kreider, you know, not Kreider, uh, Panarin, Zibanejad and Tarasenko, who I thought looked phenomenal. 
So I think that's probably what's going to go forward. And you can see that they're beginning to, at least at that game, they were slowly beginning to find where each other, you know, where each other is on the ice, you know, the looks that they're trying to make. And, you know, give credit where credit is due. The Buffalo goaltender was great. I think it was a Lukanen that played in that, yep, that day. UPL, yep. U- UPL, and I love saying his name out loud, Ukapeka Lukanen. Um, mm-hmm. It makes me feel very good about myself. <laughs> that is like a, uh, that is a very... Uh, high difficulty hockey name. I think there's like a sliding scale and that is right at the top of the scale. Right. Um, I thought he was phenomenal. Um, Buffalo does really have a decent goaltending situation. They're not, you know, just the flash in the pan or a team that's just, you know, a team that you can beat up, you know, for no reason. I I thought the Rangers played them very well. Could have had a little more offense. Yeah, sure. We'll find out when another two weeks when uh, they'll go back to Buffalo at the end of the month. Um, which will also be on a back-to-back against the uh, after the Devils. But all in all, I think they looked pretty good for the most part. Um, there wasn't really anything glaring outside of the lack of offense. I'm more concerned about the defense, and it seems like they have kind of addressed it, at least in that game. So, you know, I thought that was a, that was a good starting point considering that the roof almost fell apart in Montreal. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that and Gallant did say this after the game as well. I don't know if this is the exact comment you were referring to, but he said something to the effect of, you know, we kind of sac- almost sacrificed too much offense, you know, yes. so that we could be so committed to defense, right? So that mm-hmm. was clearly a point of emphasis because they did give up so many chances off the rush, you know, off of terrible turnovers and giveaways in that Montreal game. So so very clearly there was a, a commitment to defense and, you know, a commitment to let's just do simple stuff here, um, you know, uh, to get ourselves at least in position to, 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 to limit the opposition's grade a chances. The other big story of course, in the game is that Igor Shesterkin stops 32 of 33 shots. And, you know, I would say, and I, you know, I, I'm not sure if, you know, you'll agree with me here, JL, but, uh, you know, I, I was not, you know what? I, I'd be lying. Let me revise that. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't concerned because I think even with this team's kind of improved five on five play and all the star power they've added, they're still going to need, you know, if not truly elite goaltending, they're going to need great, great goaltending if they're going to win a Stanley Cup. That's just the nature of hockey now. You look at the way offense is across the sport, you look at power plays and power play efficiency now. I mean, we're seeing potentially record setting numbers. Uh, I, I also think it was Travis Yost tweeted a couple of days ago that um, at least if you look in the Eastern conference, every team in playoff position has a good power play that operates at above well above league average in terms of efficiency and generates a lot of chances and, and kind of has that high expected goals, uh, you know, total that you look for. So, you know, the, and the gist of it was, you know, look there, you used to have teams that could compete for cups without, good power plays. And that's not really the case anymore. You need to have a great power play. So what that means is even if you are the Boston Bruins and you play perfect, almost perfect team defense night in and night out, you're still going to need your goalie to make anywhere between five and 10, maybe even 12 or 15 great, great saves to win a hockey game, especially against a desperate opponent in a playoff series where they might be fighting for their lives or, you know, fighting to not go down three to one in a series you're always going to get the other team's best punch. I mean, everybody always looks at the Tampa Bay Lightning as the standard, right? And look at mm-hmm. some of their clinching games. Andre Vasilevsky's making 49 saves, 52 saves. Right. 
you know, it, it, this is what it's going to be. You know, I, people have, I think, this a little bit of a unrealistic outlook and expectation of, oh, the Rangers just need to tighten up and like only give up 20 shots. That's how they're going to win. No, they're probably going to give up 30, 35 shots, 40 shots even against teams that are really desperate. It's actually more important that they continue to generate offense. And that's where I think it makes sense to segue to the Pittsburgh game where Gallant continued to tweak the lines. And I, I don't want to correct you here. And, and, and obviously there was a, there's always been a lot of line juggling, especially with this coach. But I think he went to that Kane on the Kreider line with Trocek in the Pittsburgh game. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know when those changes took place. But clearly the team woke up middle of the second period in Pittsburgh and then mm-hmm. played probably their best period of the last two months. Well, not sorry, not two months, two weeks, two to three weeks in the third against Pittsburgh uh, and tied the game, forcing it to overtime um, and getting a point ultimately, even though Pittsburgh wins with a, with an overtime power play goal, you know, turnabout is fair play. Rangers get the OT power play goal against Buffalo mm-hmm. less than 24 hours later, they lose in the same scenario. But um, I was very upset with the first period, period and a half of the Pittsburgh game uh, because the, they just looked like they were skating in mud and it was kind of more of the same from the Buffalo game, especially with the lack of offense generated other than by the fourth line, which was phenomenal in the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. game. Um, but they woke up. They really woke up in the third period. Jacob Truba throwing a big hit, I think, had something to do with that. Chris Kreider snapping out of his funk with a goal had something to do with that. Patrick Kane started to look a little more comfortable uh, especially when he, you know, got some chemistry going with Trocheck and Kreider. So um, overall, a good point out of Pittsburgh. And, you know, even though Pittsburgh picked up a little bit of ground, uh, it was it was important for the Rangers to get that point and to just get out of the road trip with five out of six points. So uh, you were there, JL. So so for, but firstly, let's stick with the game. And then I want to hear about more of the atmosphere and your experience there as, a, as an away fan in Pittsburgh. But mm-hmm. um, what did you take out of that Pittsburgh game? So, yes, you are correct. I must, I, you know, the games are so close together. I tend to forget, although there was a bit of a line blender in that Buffalo game. There um, was. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I, I just think, don't I remember think, what the changes were and I'm not going to yeah, go I, back I and th- look th- at them. I think with that game, I, th- yeah, I think, uh, Kane ended up playing with Hito and Lafreniere and then, yeah, uh, Gallant right. reversed it in the Pittsburgh game. Okay. I just wanted to make I sure right. I corrected that on the record, but you know, you're, 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 you're absolutely right on that. The thing that really stuck out to me at the start with the team was like you said, they were skating like they had mud in their skates, but they were also very careless. I mean, you had three penalties in six minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's what basically got the penguins on the board. They were peppering shots at Halak and I'll give credit where credit is due. Yarrow looked very good in net. He's actually been a very steady force back there and actually weathered a lot of really good chances before he was ultimately screened and Raquel was able to put one into the back of the net. But once, once I think, you know, Kane got a chance to move up and play with and th- this is the thing with Kreider and Trocek and the thing I've noticed with Kane too is as much as I think Kane and Panarin play well with each other I think Tarasenko complements his game a little more in this current state right now because of the fact that they're not as fast as they were and Kane doesn't exactly have that breakout ability anymore so mm-hmm. you leave that to Kreider and I think what ends up happening is, is once Kane got put on that line, Kreider immediately got a boost because now Kane with the good hands, Trocek with the good entries, and Kreider, who is able to blow past anybody, they're a really strong four-check machine, at least from what I saw. Um, it really kind of got them going. 
And then obviously with, you know, Kreider, I mean, Panarin, Zibanejad, and Tarasenko, obviously there's history there. And they began to look really good as well. And you also mentioned the fourth line. You know, I think that was probably Tyler Mott's best game as a Ranger in just terms of just overall positioning, forecheck, and obviously Barclay Goodrow scoring the goal. I think that fourth line is really going to carry this team. The one thing I noticed, though, too, the defense looked so much better in the sense that, how can I put it? Yeah, Fox was a little shaky, I'll admit. He hasn't really been himself over the last couple of games. And everybody wants to rag on Mikola for the most part. But Mikola looked really good. He has a long reach. And obviously Jacob Truba, who's looked exponentially better since, you know, early on in the season with his obvious injury. Um, they began to play as a unit. And that was the key along with the, the line switching. And, you know, I'll get to it in a second on how impactful that Kreider goal was I think honestly if you really think about it you know even though they lost I think that Kreider goal is probably one of the biggest goals of the season in the sense that it basically kind of pushed the Rangers to another level obviously with the whole skirmish with Trocek knocking down Malkin and the whole place and wanting his head and mm -hmm. then uh, hitting Nylander in the neutral zone uh, I mean it was that was the turning point, and I think that could potentially be a turning point in the season in the sense that they finally have got the mojo down correctly, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, no, you you brought up a great point about Mikola, who I think had his best game as a Ranger in that Pittsburgh game. And, and look, Adam Fox... That I'm not concerned about. And every pro athlete goes through ruts, and even even the greatest ones, right? You know, it's easy to think back on any great athlete you've watched and only remember the good stuff. But you know, Fox is often compared to Brian Leach, and you know, Brian Leach was very famously benched during the 1994 playoffs. He probably didn't deserve it, honestly. But you know, Mike Keenan was a very Tortorella esque coach, very into sending messages, even in like Game Four mm -hmm. or Game Five of a playoff series. Uh, an Eastern Conference final series against the Devils. Um, but Leach also had some pretty rough years and rough stretches um, after after the, the, the 94 season, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you wouldn't know that by looking at his point totals or watching his highlights. And But but he did because he's human. And same goes for Mark Messier and same goes for Yarmir Yager. You know, right. these guys all, think of any great player, they have gone through adversity and tough stretches, whether that was due to injury or I think in Fox's case, it might be a little bit of fatigue having to play so much as the Rangers have, you know, since well before the Kane trade, we're playing shorthanded. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, he loses Ryan Lindgren, who um, I don't think gets enough credit for how he plays and what he does. He's not just a security blanket for Adam Fox. He's actually a very good all-around defenseman. Obviously, mm -hmm. he doesn't score the points, but he is very effective at getting the Rangers out of their zone. He can actually skate it out if he needs to. He can make the first mm -hmm. pass when he needs to. Um, you know, he's a little bit undersized, but he plays a very physical game. So there are there are things that Ryan Lindgren does that no other player on the team can replicate clearly, as we've seen now with having him having missed eight games. You know, and, and I think this is, you know, speaks to some of the reasoning behind why they didn't just 
rush to put him on LTIR so they could get another body or two in. As much as I think, and I've stated uh, on the show and on Twitter that I think that probably would have been the right move, you know, would have been to try and, you know, open up some cap space and get some more bodies in here so that the team wasn't forced to be in such a precarious position. I think part of the reason they didn't want to do that is they didn't want to lose him until the playoffs. They want him back as soon as he can be back so that the team can find a groove and continue to um, build its case as a contender here as we go through the final, you know, four weeks of the season. So, um, Mm -hmm. no, I certainly agree with all that. I also want to talk about, again, you mentioned it, but the fourth line has been phenomenal. And I think it also, it's encouraging to me because you normally when Gerard Gallant does a line blender, one of the, what is one of the first things he does? He promotes Barkley Goodrow, right? He puts him on one of the top two lines, almost always. (laughs) And that's, that's a go-to move for him. He clearly does not want to do that now that he has a reliable fourth line that he can play you know, almost the same amount of minutes as everybody else. I think, you know, Larry Brooks pointed out in his column after, after Monday's or sorry, uh, Tuesday night's game versus uh, Washington, that there was only about a minute difference between how much one line played versus the, you know, basically the top line only played one more minute or the equivalent of two shifts more than the fourth line. And that Mm -hmm. type of balance and the ability to roll four lines is so, so important in the playoffs and, you know, uh, we talk about the 2014 team a lot. That was the best four line Ranger team I've ever seen. Absolutely. They, you know, AV had the easiest job in the world that year, which probably makes sense because <laughs> I think as we found out he wasn't a very good coach in the end. Right. But all he had to do was send the next unit over the boards. You know, he did a little bit of matching. He did a little bit of offensive or or defensive zone start stuff. But other than that, it was literally one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Well, the whole game and the fourth line played in all situations you know, they, they scored important goals. And I think the Rangers have a fourth line now that potentially can match or even exceed what that 2014 fourth line was able to give them. So that was a huge takeaway for me. And and I remember looking, if you look at the metrics from that game, they weren't particularly pretty because the Rangers were so bad for the first half of the game, but mm-hmm. the fourth line had very good on ice, you know, scoring chance and, and expected goals numbers. They score the goal, the first goal of the game to tie it at one by Goodrow. So awesome performance and looking for more of that from them. So um, right. you know, I think Fox will be fine. I hope Lindgren gets back soon. Um, and you know, good on the Rangers for getting a point out of Pittsburgh. So before we talk about the Washington game, which, which I think, you know, will bring even more optimism to the table here. Uh, how are things in Pittsburgh? How are you treated by the, uh, I think you called them <laughs> Yinzers last time. We talked? <laughs> yeah. that well, called? that's, that's, that's the term for people out there, generally speaking, because what, what they do is uh instead of saying yous or y'all they say yins yins going down to you going yins going downtown or whatever it's it's insane so strange by the way yes very very strange yeah it's very jarring if you're from the new york area and you're not used to everybody talking like the way we do um but overall though i always generally seem to have a pretty good time when i'm out there i've been so far the three times that I've gone to uh, PPG Paints, which it's no Madison Square Garden, but it is a pretty nice arena in the sense the sight lines are pretty good. The noise of the arena really gets around. Um, you know, the sight lines are great. There's not a bad seat in the house. Um, you know, in the three times I've gone there, they've lost all three times. I went <laughs> uh, I went twice last year. I went once in February and Jari shut them out. 
then I went at the end of December. I think it was December 21st, and they lost. That was the Sammy Blay elbow, you know, made a penalty game that they ended up losing by. I was there for that. And then oh, this right, time around, right. this time around, they uh, they lost in overtime, which they got something out of it, you know. But overall, so the fans are they're passionate. The place is very loud. They are into it, especially when they play the Rangers. But if anyone is familiar with how they are on Twitter, very whiny, very complainy, very, you know, um, you know, just kind of annoying. That's how they are in person. Very passionate fans. They're not Philly obnoxious, but it does get kind of annoying when every time Jacob Truba touches the puck, they boo the crap out of him. It's kind of annoying. I was wearing my Truba jersey that day. Uh, and when Truba laid the hit on Nylander at center ice, I was absolutely just relishing in it. It was fantastic. Um, they are very friendly people, though. It's just they're very, you know, they got the, you know, high horse. No, we won two cups in a row in 16 and 17, you know. But overall, you know, even though I was uh, the, the the people next to me, and this is a quick story. So there was a, a woman and her daughter were sitting next to me, an older woman. And they both had Malkin jerseys on. They were absolutely in love with uh, with Gino. Um, so every time something would happen, whether Truba touched the puck or a Ranger did something against the Penguin, they were yelling, shouting bloody murder. Oh, we need to penalize this, that, and the fourth. Like, come on, really? And then when when um, Trocek took down Malkin and then Kreider ended up scoring the goal, she was like, that's a penalty! That's a penalty! I'm like, it's borderline, but it get and it gets called against us all the time. The Penguins have done that way more to everybody else than, than, than you know than it's allowed to be. So I started saying, you know what? That's what you guys get for doing that against us all these years. I actually said that out loud, not directly to them. And I think that lady wanted to rip my head off. Obviously, it's probably fun, but you know, overall. Out of all the places that I've gone, whether it's Philly, Boston, D.C., uh, obviously MSG, Prudential Center, I think Penguins fans are they're annoying. They're not Philly annoying. They're passionate. They're generally pretty nice people. And I recommend any uh, any Ranger fan who wants to go see a hockey game. It's not MSG. It's not a palace. The city itself, it's got a nice view in the downtown area. I strongly suggest you go do it. You may not like the you may not like the teams, but the city is absolutely wonderful, and they do a really good job at the arena too. It's very comfortable. So, overall, I had a pretty decent experience outside of them losing in overtime. Um, but you know, I, I recommend everyone you know any Ranger fan who wants to make a trip out there take a weekend trip or just like a couple days and go check it out. It's a really fun arena to watch hockey, and it's not boring either. You know, the Penguins fans are into it, but they're friendly, and you'll have a good time. Just you know, you just want to you know beat them every time you see them <laughs> see the th i that's it certainly uh you know sounds like something worth doing and and obviously going to a road game is it can be really fun but i just i know myself i i would never wear a jersey let alone the jersey of jacob truba who is very clearly <laughs> public enemy number one so it's that's great like a, Rob. that's like great. pretty much a troll move and i give you credit for it but uh that's certainly not something i would do i would probably <laughs> Um, you know, I'd probably stand up and, and, uh, and, and cheer, uh, when they scored and that's about it. And I, I certainly would not get into any, 
uh, I wouldn't say anything to any of the uh, the home fans, uh, you know, around me. So, but you know, I I think you're right. Most people are going to be normal and understand, you know, that dynamic. But you know, also you just never you do never know. Someone's had a little too much to drink, and they're you know maybe a little bit more aggressive. I just I don't want to invite that kind yeah. of. Uh, that kind of smoke, if you will. Well, it's it's also it's also reading the room, you know. I don't I I I don't try to I, I didn't I don't like, provoke anybody, you know. I just I just kind of I'm just making comments. To, I just made these comments to myself, really. Mm-hmm. I just kind of verbalize it a little louder. I don't I don't try to engage where I'm like getting into fights with anyone. It's just me, like how I would watch a game at home. I'm just in the arena, and you know I don't antagonize anyone, you know, because I wouldn't want anyone to do that to me. Whether I'm at Madison Square Garden. Or, you know, and there's an opposing fan of a team, you know, you want everyone to have a pretty good time. And, you know, I when I work, when I vocalize it, it's me just kind of like similar to how I sit down here and watch it on TV. Um, and, and, and it makes for a lot of good banter because I had some pretty good conversations with the guys in front of me. You know, when Truba hit Nylander, you know, this guy, he had a, uh, he was wearing his, uh, I think it was like a Peter Nedved jersey or something, which I actually thought was pretty cool. Um he basically told me, he's like, yeah, I don't know why everybody complains. All the Truba hits were legal. And then we had a pretty good conversation, joked around mm-hmm. with them a little bit. And nobody took it to heart. It was all in good fun. So that's the that's the most important part is it's all in good fun, you know, because that I think that the sportsmanship and all that really kind of brings out the fun in sports. So, you know, that that's that's mainly my thing. I do the same in Philly. I walked into Philly with a Lindros jersey. I didn't get killed for it. I'm still here to this day. <laughs> I don't I don't purposely like antagonize the fans because like you said you never know so it's all in good fun and, and people see that so you know but again pittsburgh great city great fans annoying can't stand the team recommend it yeah and you know on jacob truba it's really good to see how you know how much better he's played since the all-star break i would argue he's been one of their better players and he's mm-hmm. had to deal with a lot you know kind of as the captain of this team going through what they've gone through, you know, he, he's playing an, 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 an integral, an integral, excuse me, role, you know, think about in that locker room, what, what those days before the Patrick Kane trade were like, right. Mm -hmm. Guys shuttling in and out, knowing if you're Braden Schneider and Ryan Carpenter, that one game that you're just going to sit on the bench and not actually play very bizarre circumstances that I think he's, you know, I, I would imagine again, he's been pretty instrumental in keeping things together through some pretty uh, significant adversity. Um, And and I think, you know, there was some rightful worry at the beginning of the year, injury or not, that the captaincy might have been weighing on him. It has weighed on Rangers previously. Notably, Ryan McDonough did not Mm -hmm. wear the C particularly well. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but it clearly was a too difficult a job for him to handle. And he looked worn out after every game and and you know especially as that team got past its prime he really shouldered a lot of the negative energy that the team was mm-hmm. feeling and right. you know truba seem has has seemed to do a good job of adjusting to that and playing the role that you'd expect of a captain and of course it helps when the on ice product is better which for him it certainly has been mm-hmm. the hits are always a, a welcome sight and i think the rangers needed to get physically engaged in that Pittsburgh game in order to turn it around. You know, you mentioned the Trocheck and Malkin, uh, you know, kind of kerfuffle. Uh, that, again, you know, could you call it a penalty? Is, is it in a way from the puck hit? Is it a little bit late? Y- yes, but 
Malkin was chasing him around the whole shift and yeah. they were basically going at each other the whole shift. So if you're going to call one, call them both. They didn't call any. And it just so happens that the Rangers came down and scored on the play. So um, it's, you know, and, and once they got physically engaged like that, they looked like a different team. And then yep. that carried over into Tuesday night. Uh, you know, they, they come mm-hmm. out hair on fire against Washington. They take a three, one lead. You know, I saw a little bit of sort of negativity in the recap. Uh, I read Arthur Staples uh, recap of the game in the athletic love Arthur. We've had him on the show before he took a really sort of negative uh, view of the game. And it was like, man, this should have been a laugher. And instead they needed an empty net goal. And again, Washington's desperate, you know, you're not going to outshoot the opponent 19, nine, every period. It just doesn't no. happen. They got a little careless with penalties, right? They put themselves on the PK a lot. Yes. There were some moments of loose defensive zone coverage, but I think it, you would be crazy to say anything other than that was the Rangers best game since they've traded for Patrick Kane and maybe their second best game since Tarasenko joined 16 games ago. Right. So oh, certainly, uh, you know, I mean, I, maybe I'm hyperbolizing there JL, but, but that's how I feel coming out of the Washington game. Oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're right on the money. I, you know, I, I, I was there and the thing that I got right off the bat was they were, they basically took what they took from the Pittsburgh game and they kind of streamlined it for the majority of the game. Obviously, you know, they kind of fell apart a little bit here and there with some defensive lapses and coverage. But again, the Capitals are not, a, you know, they're not this bottom feeder team. They still have significant talent on that team, even though Ovechkin wasn't playing, you know, so they're not just going to roll over and die. You know, it, it, you, you, I don't understand the negativity in the sense that, oh, oh I understand that the bar is high and you want to really make a statement, but I thought they made a statement right away. I thought that Kreider, Kreider, I always keep Kreider with Zibanejad together. I'm so used mm-hmm. to saying that. I know. Well, yeah, Taras- right. The Tarasenko, Panarin, Zibanejad line, that was probably the best I've seen them for their time here so far. You know, Mm -hmm. Panarin compliments Tarasenko very well and Zibanejad compliments both of them. You know, I know that, you know, Luker likes to point out that, and I know you've pointed this out too, not only on here, but also in in our chat as well, that Panarin and Zibanejad don't exactly generate much offense together as a unit. But with Tarasenko in there, Tarasenko kind of bridges them two together. And... It's evident with uh, the the goal that was assisted by Shesterkin when he shot it down the ice and he fed Panarin and then he just found Mika uh, to bank it home. And I think a lot of that comes with them being comfortable with also knowing where Tarasenko is as well. Tarasenko really did put himself in positions to score. I think he had one instance where, I don't know, I forget if it was either from Zibanejad or Panarin where he was in front of the net and it was either shanked wide or it was defended, but he had an open net because they were generating offense in the zone. Um, I thought they looked really solid as a unit altogether. Again, Kane, Trocek, and uh, Kreider were awesome. I thought the fourth line was pretty mm-hmm. good. The kid line had some pretty decent shifts. They they just that that line needs to shoot more. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know they they come in, they dominate possession, and then they just give it away. But all in yep. all, I thought, like you said, that was probably the best game they've had since Kane was there. Like, I think that's the best game they've had in the last month because they, you know, I, you know, outside of the penalties and all that, I just thought that 
they're they're getting to become more comfortable with each other and everybody is beginning to know where everybody is you know and they have enough talent to make up for any shortcomings and you can see it and obviously when Ryan Lindgren comes back and you know sits with Adam Fox on that first pair you're going to see a lot of uh a lot of continuity in terms of just consistency because if you look at the way the team came out after the deadline all the pieces were in place there was no hitch whatsoever strom was still with panarin you know the top line kind of had a mystery with people shuffling in and out and the pieces fit in perfectly obviously you know you switch out nemeth with braun and it worked out perfectly obviously it's not the same this time around Mm -hmm. but you still you they're beginning to figure it out you can see it you know, Kane, that power play goal, you could hear it from the stands. It hit the back of the net that hard. And obviously, you know, he's not going to be the same player as he was before, but he did put up two points last night. And that's exactly what you want from him. Had that complimentary scoring piece who can score you power play goals. He looked fine. That was a overwhelmingly positive performance. And, and, and I'll even mention Igor. Yeah, he had some soft ones. Yeah. But I think he's beginning to come out of his rut a little bit. I think he needs to just face a couple more shots and just kind of find his groove again. He's like, Henrik, he needs to see the puck. And there was a lot of positives with Igor. Some were a little shaky, but I think, you know, again, not worried about him. He's beginning to really get back to the Igor that we know. Yeah. I I mean, you know, there's... First of all, what you said about Kane being a complimentary piece, um, I think that the quicker the Rangers realize that, and and by complimentary, I mean he doesn't need to play with Panarin and kind of have to, you know, uh, do the superstar thing, if you will. If it works out that way, if they if they go back to that and, and it happens to work, that's fine. Um, but if he plays, you know, middle six minutes and he can be a weapon on the power play. Think about what you're getting, you know, the value that you're getting, right? You didn't give up that much to get him. He's on your books mm-hmm. for 2.6 million in terms of a cap hit, right? So basically a player that you're you're paying in line with, you know, what you pay like Kako and Lafreniere essentially, right? On a second contract or or like a depth piece. Like if you were to just go into free agency and sign any random third line right winger, you'd pay them about two and a half million dollars. And it, Patrick Kane's going to score more than that type of player, right? So you're right. getting great value there. Mm-hmm. Tarasenko definitely looks comfortable. And I would agree with you that he could be the skeleton key that unlocks the potential of Panarin and Zibanejad because it hasn't worked with any other partners to date. And I think that that's right. something to watch. You know, I, I want to give it time. And I think, you know, Gallant has now stuck with these lines for about a game and a half. And so far, so good. They've played, you know, for the majority of the five or so periods they've been together, it's been mostly good, more good than bad. And, you know, and now they've got two games against Pittsburgh that they should be well up for. You know, that the other thing is, you know, again, it's the human nature thing that, that people don't want to hear this, especially about pro athletes, but it's not always easy to get up for a game when you are 10 or 12 points safe in playoff positioning and you're mm-hmm. playing against the Montreal Canadiens who are in a rebuild or you're playing against a, a Western Canadian team that you don't really see and you don't really know that well, or even you're playing against the Buffalo Sabres who, yeah, they're having a nice season, but they're not really a factor yet. Right. It's a little bit easier to get up for the Penguins. You know, it's always, you know, going to be a war and there's going to be weird stuff happening. You never know what the refs, uh, mm-hmm. it's easy to get up for the caps, especially off of the, the getting embarrassed by them the last time you saw them. So, you know, 
how can Gallant, and this is why I, I come back to Gallant, because the talent is there. This is a very talented hockey team. It's really on how can Gallant keep them motivated and focused here so that they close the season strong and they have a good idea of how they need to play and how, you know, both as a, as a full team, but also how they need to play as line combinations and fivesomes, um, you know, going into the playoffs, right? Have that stuff set in stone. Know what your plan A and plan B are going into the playoffs rather than, you know, if he's constantly juggling lines over the course of the next 16 games to try to find stuff that works or to try and spark the team, you know, and the Rangers kind of have just a mediocre record, I won't feel that good um, because I think you do want to see the team get on a bit of a roll um, especially when it comes to creating more offense, right? Spending more time in the offensive zone, which will help solve some of the defensive issues that have cropped up over the last you know month or six weeks. Um, you know, you just want to see them. You want to see them dominate, especially the inferior opponents. And there, there's a couple of those on the schedule coming up. So, um, yeah, I mean, but but the 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 Washington game in general, I think, was a huge step in the right direction. And now you've got Pittsburgh back to back, right? Thursday and, and mm-hmm. Saturday night. Uh, at MSG, both games. So, you know, and again, they just played them on Sunday. So you're kind of in the midst of what feels like almost a mini playoff series. And, you know, I expect the Rangers to, uh, to, to, to show up for both of those games and we'll see where the, uh, where the chips fall. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think the other thing, and I just want to touch upon this before we get to the questions, we have spent a lot of the last two weeks, you know, I think it would be fair to say, uh, talking about this team with a concerned tone, right? I, I don't think we're ever super negative on this podcast. We like to keep it, you know, uh, positive, but also, uh, you know, being critical at times and, and bringing up the, the legitimate concerns that we as fans have about the team. But uh, it's, I think we've had a concerned tone, right, over, you know, the uncertainty about the Patrick Kane trade, the roster management stuff, the injuries, and, and the underwhelming results. But it's funny, right? I say underwhelming results. And then you step back and you look at, okay, over the last four games, the Rangers are 3-0-1. As I mentioned, they pick up five out of six possible points on a, on a road trip that includes a really tough back-to-back. Then they you know, they get up 4-1 to on the Washington Capitals and, and, and kind of just take care of business at home. 3-0-1 in their last four. You, you, you double that amount of games in their last eight. They're 5-2-1, right? So they've gotten 11 out of a possible 16 points. That is a very, very good pace. You know, you're, you're, you're close to a, what, a 700 points percentage getting 11 out of 16. And if the Rangers pick up those types of results over their last, you know, 15, 16 games here, things are going to probably tighten up with New Jersey. You know, they're eight points behind the devils. I, 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 am not really eyeing second place as a goal right now. As a fan, I think I'm just happy to finish third and let's get into a playoff series with them and, and, God knows the games at the Prudential Center are basically Ranger home games anyway. There's no travel involved. So, you know, <laughs> right. let, let's not worry about the fact that they wouldn't potentially have home ice in the first round. But, you know, look, if the Rangers go 3-0-1 in their next four and the Devils go 1-3, all of a sudden they've picked up four or five points, right? Depending on overtime mm-hmm. wins and losses and such. All of a sudden an eight-point lead becomes four and there's still 11 games to play. So a lot can happen. And I think the Rangers are certainly trending up. Um so, you know, with that in mind, anything else, JL, or, or you know, uh, any kind of final thoughts on this most recent stretch of hockey for the Rangers? And is there anything else that's sticking out for you that is potentially still a concern, right? I, you know, I think that because I think there are still some things aside from, of course, the biggest story, I think, is Ryan Lindgren's health. I, I think ultimately, at the end of the day, we just we just need to see. 
I don't really see much negativity. The only thing that I would just really be concerned about is just the um, is the goaltending. I know Igor is. I, there's nothing really to wor- worry about Igor in that sense. Obviously, we're waiting for Lindgren to come back, but I, I don't. I don't think there's really much to worry about. Just kind of just have to see where it goes. You want to see a little bit more out of Igor. You know, just kind of. You know, kind of steal a game within the next couple of weeks or so so that we can at least be rest assured that, you know, he's still there. Obviously, I'm sure he will at some point. Um, It's going to be tough, you know, with Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh on Thursday and then Saturday, Sunday. It's uh, uh, Pittsburgh and then the Predators back to back. So mm-hmm. hopefully he can at least steal one of those games at least. But I don't really think there's much to kind of be negative about just just more concern on Igor's part more than anything, honestly, but I'm not, again, it's not the end of the world. He'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I want, and I think it's tied to the Lindgren injury, but I I want Adam Fox to get back to being Adam Fox. The other thing I think is Keandre Miller, similar, similar story. And I think it's, it's kind of been unfortunate how this year has played out between key and Truba, right? Because, Mm -hmm he started hot, right? He had a really great start to the year. And then, and then he really went on that bender when, you know, he was, he had like a five or six game point scoring streak and he had the, the game tying goal against, against uh, the stars with a, you know, two tenths of a second left. And, you know, he was, we were talking about all-star, you know, Norris votes, like he was having that type of season. And then he, and then he, since the all-star break, he's been in a real lull. He has really struggled the suspension did not help. I think that that, yeah. you know, I certainly am not here to psychoanalyze players, but you could see how upset he was that, that he did that. And, um, I think he, 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 he sort of said he took a little bit of a reset away. You know, the, the three games away during the suspension were a little bit of a chance for him to reset. You know, I think he might've been feeling a little bit of the dog days of the season, right? So his game had really dipped and Trubis has come on. So, you know, listen, I'm looking for Keandre Miller to get back to what we know he can be while right. Truber remains a positive factor. And then you mm-hmm. have, then you're in really good shape, right? Because if, if Fox is Adam Fox, which I think we're all confident that he will be, and Ryan Lindgren comes back, that is one of the top pairs in hockey that is borne out in all the stats and all the eye test stuff. It just is, it, you know, and there's no reason to caveat it, right? Ranger fans love no. to caveat things. I think people always want to <laughs> point out, you know, well, you know, is Lingren really that good? Like, well, yeah, he is. Like, as a matter of fact, the, the athletic did a, an article last year about shutdown defensemen, and he was right there in the, the second tier, right? He was like one of the top 10 or 15 shutdown defensemen in the league by, by metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, independent of Adam Fox and kind of the analysis that they did. So the guy's a hell of a player. And a perfect compliment to Fox Miller and Truba became a really, really strong pair during the second half of last year when, when Keandre really figured it out, I think for the Mm -hmm. first time in his career and became a consistent, you know, game to game performer. If they can just have their games, both going in the right direction at the same time, I think the Rangers become a really, really dangerous team because I think we know the offense will come, whether that's five on five or on the power play, the power play units look good. So kudos to Gerard Gallant so far. And mm-hmm. JL, you were right. I know, you know, me and uh, Rob Luker and, and Becky last week were very hesitant and concerned about, you know, the way they configured the power plays. But so far, lots of success, lots of offense generated and pretty much an even nice time split, you know, for mm-hmm. all those star players. Right. With Adam Fox, I think spending a lot of time on both units. Um, 
I think if they can get their top four D straightened out by the playoffs, they are truly a threat to win the Stanley cup. I think that that is really more of the missing piece than, you know, than the offense is. And I only say that because those four guys going will lead to more time in the offensive zone, more chances for all those star players to, uh, to do what they do, which is, you know, pretty pass, pretty pass score a goal, which happened quite a few times against uh, Washington on Tuesday. Well, you know, they say the best defense, you know, the best defense is a good offense. Yes. You know? A cliche. I wholeheartedly agree with <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm, in, I'm inclined to agree. So awesome. Well, I think it's time for questions. We got a couple this week, so, uh, let's, uh, okay. let's, let's hear them. Okay. Do you want to, do you want to play the goal horn this week or not? <laughs> hey, listen, let's do it. It's we're, we're always, uh, you know, let's keep it consistent and, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's go to question time. <laughs> All right. So we've got some questions this week. So the first one comes from Bill Seussville, one of my favorite follows on Twitter at uh, John Cougar Colleen camp. And he asks, what would be the theoretical easiest path for the Rangers to a cup? And he would also ask, what's the hardest? It's really funny because and it's a good question, but also because of the nature of the playoff system, especially without reseeding, right? So, you know, you remember, obviously, and, and a lot of hot, this is a classic, or not classic, but it's a very popular debate topic on hockey Twitter right now. Mm-hmm. Most people don't like the divisional playoff format with the two wild cards. They want to go back to one versus eight, two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five. The NHL also used to reseed. So if you were the top seed, right, and uh, you won your matchup, you would then play the lowest seeded remaining team. Right. And this always brings up, for me at least, very painful memories of 2012 because the Rangers oh yes, oh, theoretically man. had the easiest path to the Stanley Cup final that year. They played the eight seed, Ottawa Senators. They played the seven seed. Um, was that the Washington. Capitals? Day? Yep. It was Washington, Washington, right? Yep. Yes, 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 of course. Mm-hmm. And then they played the six seeded New Jersey Devils. And had they made the finals, they would have played the eight seeded LA Kings. Although that everybody agrees now, looking back, that that LA Kings team was anything but an eight seed. But <laughs> but the Rangers had, yeah, they they obviously just you know they made some additions at the trade deadline that made them a completely different team. And you know Jonathan Quick did you know he got really really hot, and they were just they were not they were not an eight seed, and they were not lucky no. into wins there. They were a legitimately dominant team well, during the back th- stretch of that series in the playoffs. I think a lot of issues with that argument really comes from just you. I, I am in the camp of not really liking the current playoff system now, because what ends up happening is, is you end up, you end up really having a big name team getting kicked out early, but in the mm-hmm. same token, the playoffs are so unpredictable that you can't really tell, you know, like you mentioned 2012, so you mentioned 2012 and no one no one thought the kings were going to go that far they were they were for the most part average throughout that regular season they just figured it out at the right time you know and you know the devils only beat the rangers not that you know the devils weren't terrible but you know the devils were good but the rangers were gassed they had yes. no energy john tortorella refused to put in the fourth line and the third pair. Stu Bickle probably saw like two seconds of ice time. Girardi, yes. McDonough, Stahl, 
and Strawman were basically gassed out and you mm-hmm. can see it. It basically, if you watch the Henrique goal uh, that year when they clinched, you can see them just bowled over, just exhausted. So it, it, it's, it's kind of, and, and to go back to the question, it's, it's, it's kind of tough to really make a determination on what's the easiest and what's not. You can make the predictions all you want, but sometimes even the, even the easiest path to the final can end up hurting your season, honestly. Yeah. So I I don't really know what to say to that question, honestly. I mean, well, to the, so I was going to say also, but to that to that point, right now, I'm kind of happy with what lies in front of the Rangers. Now, I don't. I would hesitate to call it the easiest road. I don't think it's easy in any way, shape, or form. But if you assume that uh, Carolina wins its matchup, and and at this point they would play Pittsburgh as the uh, higher seeded of the two wild card teams. Rangers would play the Devils, mm-hmm. right? You end up playing a Carolina team without Andrei Svechnikov, who is out for the season, tore his ACL. He's done. It's a team that they are comfortable playing against, even even amidst. And again, you know, it will not be stress-free hockey, certainly. Uh, even in the best of times, it's not. But Carolina is on top of you the whole game. They get 40 shots a game. We know what Carolina is. It's what they've been for the last six, seven, eight seasons, even before they got good and started winning games. They were mm-hmm. out shooting everybody. Right. So th- th- this is what they are. But the Rangers relish in and thrive in those types of games because they have a great counterattacking. They have a team that, that can play counterattacking hockey. You know, I think at this point, it's clear they don't want to play counterattacking hockey, right? They, they want to spend time in the offensive zone, you know, all the things right. we talked about. But, you know, Panarin torched them for four goals simply because if you watch his breakaway goal in that in that game, um, you know uh, that it was part of that right before the Western Canada road trip. If you watch the third goal he scores in that game, uh, I think it was Brady Shea and I forget who his defense partner is on that was on that shift. They were both not only were they in the offensive zone, <laughs> yeah, there was yeah. nobody, nobody back, nobody yeah. near Artemi Panarin at his own blue line. He and almost he had a two hundred foot breakaway. He had almost had a 200-foot breakaway. And that is what I'm talking about. The Rangers are going to get chances on the rush. Um, if you think about some of the playoff goals that they scored against Carolina last year, pickpocketing their defensemen, trying to handle mm-hmm. the puck in their own zone. Filipino comes in on a breakaway. You know, uh, Filipino scored on a two-on-one to the first goal of the series from Lafreniere off of a neutral zone turnover. You know, Carolina is a – they're a dump-and-chase team that then sends all five guys to the puck, and they try to compress the ice. The Rangers, if they can just chip it past that first wave of forecheck, you've got basically a free three on two or a two on one. So, and that's a style they're comfortable playing. So again, this is a long way of saying they're play, they'd be playing a Jersey team with no playoff experience. And, you know, Jack Hughes all of a sudden doesn't look like the third best player in the NHL, which he did for a long part of the season. Not going to lie, but has not been the same since the injury. No. A Carolina team that they're comfortable with, who also doesn't have great goaltending. And then you know, you're probably playing one of Boston, Toronto, or, or Tampa Bay. Um, now let's call that the, let's call that the hard road. I'll call that the hard road. The easy road is same first two teams, New Jersey and Carolina, but you luck out and the Islanders make it out of that bracket, right? The Islanders Mm, currently are the last team in. Let's say that they beat Boston and then they beat one of Toronto or Tampa Bay and they make it back to the conference final you know, look, as much as that would be an intense and pressure packed series, 
you know, look, look at the Islanders aren't very good. They are on, they are teetering on the brink of the playoffs as is, you know, yes, they've played a lot better since Bo Horvat joined the team, but I think any reasonable person, if the Rangers are coming into a conference final off of two uh, hard fought victories over Jersey and Carolina, I would bet most people are picking the Rangers to win that series. And probably in less than, I'm going to even say less than six games. I think people are picking the Rangers in five. Now, of course, goaltending, right? Sorokin is great. He is Mm -hmm. having a much better season than Chesterkin is right now, but I'm still going to call goaltending a wash. And I think the Rangers are the better team across the board. Otherwise in a series with the Islanders. So um, let's say that uh, let's say that there's not really going to be much change. They're going to play either New Jersey uh, or sorry, they're going to play New Jersey and probably Carolina. Um, But that final team they play is probably what's, is what's going to determine, you know, easiest versus hardest. And of course, this whole discussion is, is almost, uh, is comical, you know, and, and that is not to belittle, uh, you know, the question of course, cause I, I also love, uh, you know, and love interacting with, with, uh, Bill, as I call him on, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the East is, is, is just a, it's a meat grinder, man. Like it is just, it is the, the six of the best teams in hockey are all in the Eastern conference. Yep. And then you've got, you know, Colorado and, and I guess Vegas, if you want to, you want to throw them in the mix and Dallas. Right. So, but, but of the top 10, six or seven of them are Eastern conference teams and the Rangers are in that mix. So it's either Mm -hmm. way, the East is going to be a beast. And, you know, the team that comes out of that conference is going to be probably quite beat up going into a, a, you know, a Stanley cup final. But at that point you hope, you know, adrenaline takes over. Well, that's ideally, you know, uh, you just hope Boston finds a way to get eliminated somehow at some point. Yeah. Because then that's the, Honestly, the Rangers can pretty much beat anyone, and as long as it's not Boston. So, yeah, I know. I we have some colleagues uh, on the Blue Seat Blogs chat that don't think very highly of the Bruins, and I, I just don't want to play them in the play. I, I don't yeah. agree. I mean, I think that they're really, really good, and I think what scares me about them is perfect example. Right before the Buffalo game on Saturday afternoon. I was watching the Boston Detroit game on ESPN or ABC, whatever it was. And Detroit came out on fire. They went up two nothing and it was like, Oh wow. Yeah. And it looked Detroit's got some players. They're kind of a young up and coming team. That's a divisional game for them. They were well up for it in the second period. And this was probably 10 or 11 minutes into the period. ESPN put the shot attempts on the screen in the second period, 25 for Boston, one for Detroit. Wow. When Boston turns it on, they are, they're the best team in in the sport and they can turn it on. You know, I disagree with the, with the characterization that they're a one line team. Yes. Most of their talent is concentrated obviously on that top line. You know, Pasternak technically plays on the second line with Krejci right now, but, but um, their, their, their four lines are, are able to control the puck and grind it out. And they probably have the best six defense, you know, the six man or seven man defense core in hockey. Um, and 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 look, yes, they do rely somewhat on goaltending. Every every team does. And right now, Allmark is playing way beyond what anybody thought possible for for him, considering his body of work previous to this season. But I don't want to see that team in a playoff series. I mean, I cannot imagine playing against a desperate Boston team. You know, if you happen to be up a game or up a goal late in a game in a, in a, you know, if you're up two one and the series is tied two to two or God forbid the series is tied three to three. I mean, it is going to be an onslaught from that team. Mm-hmm. They just have that ability. 
to turn it on. Now I think every team does. We know Tampa does. They did it to the Rangers last year. I think the Rangers have that ability. You know, they've that they've they show that a lot earlier this year that when they were down in a you know late in a game, they could outshoot a team 20 to 1 uh in a period. So so all the good teams have the ability to do that. Certainly New Jersey does as well. Carolina kind of operates that way no matter what. But there's mm-hmm. just something about watching Boston that there was this expectation from them that okay, we're down to nothing. We're still gonna win this game. Like it was not really a question for them. They they knew they were right. going to win the game. It was just a matter of breaking through with the first goal, and then you know the the the, the next two would come, and 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 they they that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. So, with that being said, moving on to the next question is from our own Tyler McGillick, with Tarasenko having ten points in sixteen games and Kane with five points in six games. Is it fair to say that those acquisitions have been worth it? So, first of all, you know, uh, Tyler, you know, I love chatting with Tyler. We've had him on the podcast a couple of times. Um, He is always happy to go out on a limb with a take, and I appreciate that because that's what, you know, talking about sports with your friends and with with folks, you know, whether it's on a podcast or uh, on the internet or whatever it is, that's what it's all about. Um, Look, I, I can't, you can't make any grand proclamations about these trades yet. And unfortunately, the only real way we're going to be able to tell is after we see what they do in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Because if you asked any Ranger fan, was trading for Marty St. Louis worth it after the regular season ended, they all would have said no. He had one goal in 19 regular season games. But we know what he did in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And yes, he had another year after that, so it's slightly different circumstances. But it was about what MSL did during that 2014 run and, and really how he galvanized the team. And of course under hugely uh, unfortunate circumstances with the passing of his right. mother. But, you know, even before, before that happened, he was playing well and he was, you know, he was very clearly a guy who knew how to turn it up in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, it remains to be seen. I have less doubt with Tarasenko because he was there more recently than Kane. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the blues won the cup just a couple of seasons ago and, and they were in the conference finals against uh, Colorado last year. So, Tarasenko's been there and his, you know, uh, my favorite stat about him is that he has 41 playoff goals in 90 games, which is a, a right. remarkable ratio. Insanity. Yeah, it's crazy. Given the fact that, you know, scoring plummets in the playoffs, it's much harder to, to put the puck in the net. You know, Kane, it's been a while since he's been in a playoff series. He, he was he was last in the playoffs, I think, in 2017. And they the Blackhawks were swept and they haven't been back since. Um, both of the times he played with Panarin in the playoffs in 15, 16 and 16, 17, the team was swept. So, you know, we, we talk about how long it's been since Kane played with Panarin and, oh, wow, that's six, seven years ago, right? Of course, it's not automatic that you're going to recapture that magic. Of course. It's also been very long since Patrick Kane's been in a playoff series with expectations with it on a team that's expected to win. Can he find it again? Can he turn it on? It remains to be seen. Um, now look. The output in terms of points is certainly encouraging, right? Five points in six games is mm-hmm. is, is a great, great start. Um, we know his underlying numbers are not very good. We know that his off-the-puck play is often questionable, although I think some of that was also just uncertainty, uncertainty about where to go on the ice and kind of that right. lack of comfort of a new player, um, which I think is waning now as he gets more and more comfortable. Um but ultimately, you know, I have a hard time saying, yes, these are, you know, fully slam dunk successful trades uh, until we see how they perform in the playoffs. That said, 
I'm really, really happy both these guys are here. And I'm, I'm, I love that, you know, Drury did not give up too much to get either of them. I, I have to agree. I can't necessarily say definitively whether or not they will, you know, they've been worth it per se, but I can tell you for sure that they've looked good so far. Um, they're coming around a little bit. And a lot of the stuff that I said before still applies now is that they're beginning to find this groove. I, you know, I want to see how they do in the playoffs, how far this team goes. Ultimately, that will be the deciding factor. But I mean, if I had to give Tyler an answer, is it worth it? Well, it's always worth it when you're going for a shot. Mm -hmm. So that's always the case. It's always worth it when you put it out there to try and, you know, take a shot at the cup or at least do something because it's better to, you know, go out and do something than not do anything at all. So I, I applaud that. So would I say it's worth it? I guess, but I will, you know, we'll have a better answer once the season ends or hopefully with a, you know, a cup run. Yeah. And listen, I think it's, I think the fact that Kane scored three goals and has two assists is it, it is very encouraging. And, and, that is part of what will give him confidence, right? I mean, he they always say this about goal scorers and, and guys who put up points. You've got to see the puck go in the net. I mean, that talk about, you know, that happened for Chris Kreider over the weekend. And I would expect him to play uh, much better hockey now and get out of the rut he was in now that he's seen the puck go in the net for him in a huge spot against Pittsburgh. Um, mm-hmm. I did want to bring up in this context a very, a very funny graphic. Uh, certainly tongue-in-cheek or certainly a big narrative driver but uh, this was making the rounds on twitter on tuesday uh or sorry on wednesday uh it's from ny rangers muse so at ny rangers muse it's kind of a stat account they have these for a lot i've seen these for the nba too um i don't know who runs them or what the whole um thing is says they're not affiliated with stat muse so you know it's more more than likely just a ripoff but whatever uh here's what it says timo meyer in his first six games with the devils one goal one assist eight penalty minutes and a 5% shooting percentage. Patrick Kane in his first six games with the Rangers, three goals, two assists, two penalty minutes, 14.2 shot percentage. Don't let Devils fans hear about this though with a couple of eyeball <laughs> emojis. So, you know, look, and 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 I think the, look, eh, most reasonable fans will know and understand that Timo Meyer is a, is a, an excellent two-way player. He's what, a, almost a full decade younger than Kane. Um, right. He's got a more recent 40 goal season under his belt. So the guy's a great, great player. And and I am not um, certainly not trying to poke the bear uh, or, or throw shade at Timo Meyer here, but um, it is funny doing that side-by-side comparison, especially given the fact that the team has per- been perceived to be struggling and that Kane himself has struggled individually to just find chemistry, fit in, get comfortable, all that stuff. So Again, you know, I think the my main point here is, you know, not to be so repetitive, but as he gets better and more comfortable, it's good that he's already got some points in his back pocket, right? So he won't be pressing for that first goal or pressing for that first, you know, really great play, that sort of like seminal, you know, moment where he feels like he's arrived. Like, you know, I, I think he's kind of just eased his way in nicely here. And I think he's taken to playing with with a lot of different players. Well, you know, he he doesn't seem to be pouting about not playing with Panarin. That right. doesn't seem to be an issue. They're still getting power play time together, which I think is is fine and a very sustainable solution. So, you know, ultimately, 
um, that is, uh, that is very positive. Yeah, I, I, I concur. I can't, I really can't say much else at this point. Yeah. And I think that's it for questions. All right. Well, I think in that case, we're almost done with the show here, but any final thoughts from you, JL? Uh, just, I just continue to hope that the, this is a big week, obviously. Um, it's, it's going to be a a litmus test for this team. Even if they win at least one of the next couple of games, they'll still be in decent shape. You want to see some progress and, uh, hopefully, you know, as this will be recorded, you know, and well, it'll be released later on, uh, on the day of the, the penguins game, you know, let's just hope they carry it over, bring some of that snarl they had in Pittsburgh into New York. Absolutely. I think that's the main thing for me is I want to see a team that's just as engaged. I want to see them in the offensive zone. You know, even if the, again, the result is, I don't want to call it secondary because they do need the points, but I'm going to be looking at how they're playing, right? How they're playing defensively, how they're getting out of their defensive zone, and then how much time are they spending in the offensive zone? Um, but I expect, you know, electric crowds at the garden back to back, you know, not, not, not in terms of days, but two games in a row against Pittsburgh. It's going to have that playoff feel, eight o'clock start on Saturday, you'll probably have a pretty juiced up and, and, you know, potentially, uh, you know, semi drunk, uh, crowd after, <laughs> you know, some time to grab some dinner and, and, and a couple of drinks before the game. So it should be great atmosphere both nights. Looking forward mm-hmm. to watching those games, looking forward to talking, uh, talking about it all with, with you next week. Um, so, uh, so yeah, appreciate everybody listening, uh, to live from the blue seats and, uh, we'll catch you next week. Thank you.